presenting to you an Ista World podcast. We will now proceed with the questions from the Sangat, which I understand are waiting. Yes, and the first set of questions relate to Seva. And the first question is, what is the best kind of Seva and the best for earning grace? The best Seva is meditation upon the higher truth, because that is the objective of spiritual practice. As initiates, we are taught that we must get in tune with our higher self and then that higher self can get in tune with it, the God self, its creator. And uh, this is the point of spiritual practice. So anything that aids that or brings us closer to that is beneficial. And meditation is the most relevant to that cause. Everything else supports it. For example, seva or other activities or even just reading about the masters reciting scriptures all kinds of things that remind us of our path, remind us of the Lord, are helpful. But it's meditation that actually earns the greatest amount of grace. Thank you. Ishwar Puriji said, the best savour is to do in the mind. Can you tell me how to do savour in the mind? You see, because seva is an actual activity that can only occur in the lower realms because there is no seva in the higher realms there's no activity to be done other than meditation so seva is always done in the mind and um, if we do the seva of the mind as opposed to seva of the body which means higher thinking and practicing higher thoughts then this is better than doing physical seva so Ishwaji is simply referring to the fact that seva has different degrees and that if you physically do some activity here, that is okay. But it doesn't often generate a higher thought pattern within you. But if you um, do mental seva by relating to higher thoughts, <coughs> sorry, then this definitely um, allows you to meditate more, leads to meditation, and it leads to higher thinking, better thinking, more noble thinking. And so that's why the seva of the mind or thoughts are superior to physical seva. Thank you. Is it true that when one says they are doing seva, and I guess physical seva, is it not seva because they voiced it? <laughs> well, yes, because if the ego is involved in this, um, then all is lost from a spiritual point of view. The physical activity that you're doing carries its own merit physically, in other words, karmically. That cannot be changed by you voicing it or not. But from a spiritual point of view, from an evolving point of view, if you become egotistical about this, then this only works to feed the ego and not the spiritual self. So then you've lost the benefit of that. Okay. Are there some jobs, some paid jobs, that are considered saver, even though you get paid for them? For example, I ask this because people are helping others directly, even though the people receiving the service may not be nice to them. For example, charity work for the homeless, 
hospital work or being a care worker? You see, the true meaning of seva is selfless service for others' benefits. That's actually what seva is about. So doing a job which is paid is just a karmic existence. It's a business transaction. Real seva, there is no reward other than the pleasure in giving. So if there is no reward, then this is called selfless activity. So seva itself is a selfless activity. It's always done for the spiritual benefit of others or for themselves. Whereas paid work is just that. It's a karmic relationship you have with the employer where you sell your time for a certain price and he pays you for that. However, going towards the attitude point, you can make it a more pleasant and more beneficial experience if you have the right attitude. If you understand that this is just dharma, your duty, and you're performing your duty, and you do it in the Lord's name, so you add the element of recognition and remembrance of the Lord, and you do it with kindness and tolerance and patience, then definitely this is a much better, uh, creates a much better positive effect than if you do it grudgingly and regretfully. Thank you. Sant Paltu Sahib said, very near and dear to God are saints. Whatever they ordained happens. Yes, what they order occurs. For the Lord is within their command. Whatever saints ask, he does. He never goes against their wishes. In the mansion of the Lord, all work is done by saints. Can you explain why Pautu mentioned that God is doing everything for saints? You see, first you have to understand what he meant by the saints. He's referring to a perfect saint, one who has already become one with the divine. So therefore the divine, he, he has no will of his own. Saints do not act in their own will of their own accord. They only act in the will of the Father, of the Creator. So their role is merely to manifest the Creator's will here upon earth. So this is just a reference to that, that because the expression of the will is manifested here on this earth through the manner of the saint, anything that the saint does is automatically the will of the Lord. And therefore, the will of the Lord is expressed through the saint. So the, the expression of the saint and the will of the Lord are one and the same. So this is just a, a poetic way of putting that relationship forward. It's not that the saints are separate from the Lord and therefore they're specially favoured. No, it's because they've become one with the Lord that anything that the saint does is actually a manifestation of the will of the Lord. But from the human point of view, you have the saint here and you have the Lord there. So the communication between them is considered to be something of one to the other. And therefore, because we separate them, we say that the Lord is um, granting whatever the saints want and gifting to them that, that nobility. But actually, it's the Lord manifesting itself through the saints. So there's only the Lord and the saint doesn't exist. The saint is just an empty vessel to which the Lord manifests itself. And that's the truth. Thank you. Every time I do seva, I always get rewarded in some way. Is this my reward from the master or is it in my mind? 
it depends um, sometimes it's karmic because if you are doing seva seva could also be dharma depends on your reference to seva if you're doing your duty doing dharma that this is a karmic reward if it is selfless service to humanity and to the master then def most definitely the grace is there so it depends in what way that seva is done I know I'm a selfless person because I always get reminded of this. When I was a child, I always put people first before myself. I find it hard to put myself first sometimes. Why is this? You see, with, with some people, they have this feeling of, that they are selfless only because they lack self-worth. There is a difference between one who is supremely confident and full knowledge who actually then becomes selfless because they understand who it is that they're serving. If they realize that all are divine beings of the Lord and they are of divinity, then they happily serve humanity as they would serve their own self. So we call this selflessness of divine nature. Other people appear to be selfless, but actually is motivated by low self-esteem, trying to generate recognition and acceptance from the world. So it really depends in which way this act of selflessness, in quotes, is being performed. Mm, that's interesting. Okay, the next three questions are around forgiveness. Why do some people find it hard to forgive? Well, in order to forgive, one has to have an understanding of who is doing what to whom. If one has a kind disposition and understands that everybody is just trying to, to struggle their way through life and therefore does not hold anything against anyone, but they realize that they're in a certain position that compels them to act in a certain way, to behave in a certain way, then forgiveness comes naturally. For those who do not accept this, and want to believe that that person is out to get them or that they purposefully are causing harm to them or, or some other negative tendency, then those, those people will definitely um, feel that um, it's hard to forgive, that they cannot forgive because they think that this is purposefully done. So it depends on the sanskars, the attitude that somebody's born with, whether their attitude is a healthy, positive attitude or whether it's a skeptical negative attitude. Okay. There is a saying, forgive and forget. Is that a wise saying or is it best to not forget so it can remind you of what happened and be cautious moving forward? You see, the forgetting part only occurs with one who's not attached to this world. If you become detached from this world, you automatically forget. Why would you remember anything that's negative here if you're not even attached to this world because you're attached higher up? Those who find it difficult to forget and who say that they want to not forget so they don't encounter it again, they're the ones who attach to this world and take this world too seriously. So it depends on what your level of attainment is spiritually, whether you're able to forgive and forget completely and have faith in the Lord knowing that nothing happens without the Lord's grace, without the Lord's order, and that if you are devoted to the true Lord, then you would be protected automatically from any real harm. However, 
if you do not have that feeling, then and you're attached to this world, and you do not think that the Lord is uh, looking out for you, you don't believe in that, and you want to take charge of things, then you want to make sure that you don't forget. In other words, you hold a grudge so that you make sure that that person doesn't do that again to you or somebody similarly doesn't do that thing again to you. So again, it depends upon your level of spiritual merit. Okay. You may think you've answered this already, but I'll ask it anyway. Why is it so hard to forgive people even if you are on a spiritual path? Does this mean that I'm not elevated at all? Yes, one of the criteria for spiritual elevation is ability to forgive as well as tolerance and patience and kindness and compassion. These are all qualities of the saints. So the more closer we move towards these qualities, the more saintly we become, the more spiritually progressed we are. It is one of the best indicators of measuring spiritual progress than anything else. So if we are struggling with the forgiveness part, it still means that we take this world too seriously and we think and we still identify with the character that we're playing and that we, we blame others for the characters that they're playing rather than seeing it as just a play. So yes, it's, uh, it depends on the level of spiritual progress according to whether we have the ability to forgive or not. Okay, thank you. Right, these are around attitude. If one displays all these aspects of the right attitude, which are the forgiveness, the compassion, gratitude, non-judgment and savour, don't people just walk all over you, see you as a soft touch? Actually, no, because if a person is weak-minded and they, they become submissive because they just want to be a people pleaser without any spiritual merit or credit to them, then perhaps they could consider themselves a walkover. But a person who's confident, you see, having these qualities, noble qualities, does not mean that you lack confidence and force of will. Actually, it gives you strength. These are strengths, not weaknesses. Because when they're done in a confident um, and, and a forceful way, in the sense that um, they're done with vigor and passion, then the Lord protects you from any harm. The world does not take advantage of you. In fact, it's the opposite. They respect you and run around you to please you. They don't, you know, even if they try to do something naughty in front of you, they feel guilty. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite. It commands authority. So I think this is a misunderstanding to say that these are signs of weakness. So would you say that those are some of the benefits of having the right attitude? That was the next question. Yes. Um, the benefits of having the right attitude is, firstly, that life becomes much easier and smoother. And also you earn grace and protection from the Lord. Why, the, why wouldn't the Lord protect those who are devoted to him, who are following and walking in the footsteps of the saints? If a disciple's attitude is slowly improved for the better, is that a sign of true spiritual progress? Yes. It is the change in attitude from a manly, material, materialistic way of looking at things to a gurumukhi, um, spiritual, saintly way of looking at things. That is spiritual progress. So, yes, it's a sign of spiritual progress if one is developing a more saintly attitude. 
if you do not automatically have the right attitude, example, one is very angry with life due to how they behave, how can you get the right attitude? You see, we only become angry when we have expectations. Without expectations, why would anybody become angry? If these expectations are unrealistic, instead of thinking to ourselves, maybe we're asking too much, maybe we're demanding too much, maybe we're expecting more than they can give. You see, when we impose our uh, strengths and weaknesses upon others, then we get angry when it's not fulfilled according to our expectations. When we understand that people have their own way of looking at things, they're limited in certain ways, then we can feel more um, forgiveness for them, we can feel more understanding, we try to understand why it is like that, and then we try to avoid um, unnecessarily aggravating a situation to generate anger within us, because we have a more understanding attitude. So anger is definitely a negative energy that if we give it out, it comes back to us. And then we are the ones who become miserable. Mm -hmm. An angry person is never happy. There's no bit happiness in anger. Whether you give it or receive it, it's never a happy affair. So why bother with it? True, true. Okay, the last one in this section. How can we learn to create a better harmonious atmosphere in our home? By being harmonious within us. Mm -hmm. If we generate harmony within us, then naturally we generate harmony all around us. We project what we are. So, yes, if we have this harmonious nature within us, then simply we empower or energize the atmosphere around us, which naturally creates a harmonious effect, and others will feel uh, akin to that. They will feel connected with us, and therefore it will generate harmony within the home. Thank you. Right, this question is all about gratitude. Is there a reason why lots of personal development gurus, spiritual authors, etc. talk about gratitude more so these days? Example, they say things like, before you get out of bed, write 10 things every day that you are grateful for. It just goes to show how ungrateful we are in modern times for what we have, that they have to point this out so much. But this is correct. You know, we have much to be gracious for, great grateful for. Um, just the mere fact that we're born human is enough because it means that we can live life in different terms to those of the animals around us. They have to experience everything without much control or understanding of the environment around them. We have an ability to adapt and make the most of living. We also should be grateful for the fact that we're far better off than so many people were in the past. People had to put up with so much hardships without even electricity, heating, you know, hot running water, you know, things we take for granted now. We don't understand that um, there was a time when people didn't have these things at all. So we're living in an age now where we definitely as human beings are much more um, benefited by technology and advancement, yet we're still miserable. If our ancient ancestors were to come and live in the modern day, were to look at all the facilities we have, they'll say, why are you crying? You know, just to fill up a bath, we had to go to the river, fetch pails of water, fill it up, heat it under coals. Now we just open a tap and instant hot water. 
<laughs> so I think, um, yes, the fact that uh, we're so ungrateful nowadays for what we have is why a lot of um, spiritual coaches and teachers and so on are emphasizing gratitude. Because gratitude is also a very positive thing. By being grateful, it stops us becoming greedy. It stops us becoming angry. It stops us becoming jealous, which are all negative attributes. So philosophers have realized that being grateful is very beneficial for our well-being, especially our mental well-being. But on a spiritual point of view, if we are grateful for what we have as gifts from the Lord, then this earns grace as well. So we get even more rewards for this. So spiritually, it has a slightly different uh, implication than from a physical point of view. Thank you. Right, these two around judgment. Is there a fine line between judging someone and stating a fact about them? Example, if someone is mean because they demonstrate they are just mean, or am I judging them as being a mean person? You see, when you state a fact, it should be done impartially. Judgment is always a, a, a negative response, a, a partial response to say that I know better than you. So when ego is there, judgment is there. Because judgment always feels that I know better than you, I'm better than you. So judgment is always done from a point of view of upwards to downwards meaning that a person who's higher up in their ego stakes looks down upon those who are lesser and judges them. It's never the other way around. It's never somebody who's humble and simple and from the gutter looking up and judging. It's always from the up down because judgment is a negative connotation of superiority. So this is an ego thing. So it's a negative trait. It helps no one. So Yes, judgment um, is, a, is a, an attribute that in fact causes harm and demonstrates that the person who's doing the judging is actually an egotist and there's nothing spiritual about them at all. Okay, thank you. Last one on this judgment, if it fits in this section. My wife asked me to choose her or my master what kind of answers should I give to my wife so I don't necessarily hurt her feelings? Well, fear why of not, being judged. <laughs> why not? Why not do both? Why not say I have equal regard for you and for my, for the wife, for the master, and for the um, wife? Why not be equal with it? You see, if one sits down and explains what the difference is between respect and love for the master and for the wife, then there'll be no competition at all. Because actually loving the master brings out the nobility of the wife. Because when one practices love for another human being, it automatically increases that ability to love. And that love can be traced, can be um, translated physically to the wife. So that spiritual love that one gets for a master is in no way in competition for the love and respect of the wife because the master reminds the individual that all are children of the Lord, all are beloved. So love for the master does nothing but create positivity in the lover and that positivity can be translated to their family members including their wife. So if 
the, uh, this individual explains this to the wife, I don't think the wife would have any problem. Okay, that's a good idea. Thank you. Right, these set of questions are around initiates or initiation. Is it true that if one has been initiated by a perfect living master in a previous life, when he gets initiated in the present life, he will regain all the spiritual progress made during the course of his previous life? Yes, that is correct. Um, whatever you have attained, you take with you from life to life, good or bad. Everything is not that some is selected and some is not. Everything, absolutely everything, you have earned or lost is taken with you <laughs> from life to life. Right. If we simply do nothing once initiated, do we still go home? The truthful answer is yes. Actually, once you're initiated, there's nothing for you to do. All the activities that um, the master assigns for you to do is simply to keep the mind occupied during its notional life here on earth. Because once we've been initiated, then our job is done as human beings. There's nothing left. However, because we are part and parcel of the world, we have an interaction with others. We have to fulfill our obligations here. But we should do so in a detached, carefree manner because it doesn't really matter what we do here anymore because we have attained the ultimate goal of being human, which is to become initiated and therefore begin our journey home. So the rest of the time spent here is merely time passing and fulfilling our moral and, and uh, dharmic obligations. Um, but apart from that, we should be detached from the whole show and just enjoy living life in bliss and wonderment of where we are heading. Do you realise that people won't meditate now? <laughs> you see, the meditation part is part of the enjoyment because by meditating, you're actually able to enjoy resting at the eye centre, being at peace with your true self and just enjoy the bliss of that. So naturally, when we want peace from the world, because the world is always disturbing around us. Mm. So one place to find that real peace is when you sit at the eye center. And then people by nature, depending on some scars they have, they want to see things. They're not just happy to go blindly home. They want to have a look and see where they're going, how well they're doing, or they want to witness something here and there. So they'll meditate. Mm, sure. Thank you. Right. Is any reference made to a master a form of remembrance? For example, talking about master with another initiate? Yes, of course. Um, because in order for you to talk about a master, the thought of the master must come to your mind. So therefore, a remembrance uh, of the master must occur at the same time. So anything surrounding or involving the master in your daily life and recognizing the master's uh, worth definitely is of benefit to you. Whenever I am feeling down and depressed, I can't bring myself to focus or meditate. Can I recite the names to make this feeling go away? Yes, the names themselves carry power if charged by a living master. So yes, they are very helpful indeed. Not every day is a sunny day. Some days must be cloudy, some days must be rainy. So we have different seasons, different phases that we go through. It's natural because our karmas are like that. This uh, world is made of pain and pleasure. 
of good and bad experiences. So therefore some days will be better than other days. So when we're having not such a good day, we do the best we can. And if reciting and reciting the names is definitely a, a very helpful way of maintaining connection with the divine, even if we're unable to meditate. Is there a guarantee that a soul once initiated will return home in four lifetimes? No, there's no guarantee. This is just an average that mm. um, it can take longer than that or it can happen in one lifetime. It depends on our earnestness, the need we have, the yearning we have within us to go home, to go back to our true source. If that yearning is strong and powerful enough, we go in the same lifetime. If the yearning is hardly there, that the worldly phenomena take over, then we may take longer, in fact. And if we really indulge in the world or cause harm to others or even, even reject the master who initiated us, we may take longer than four lifetimes. Where did the four lifetimes thing come from, do you know? This came from a time of Tulsi Sahib, um, a famous um, saint in the 18th century in India, who... Um, when was asked um, how long does it take on average, he said about four lifetimes because in those days, in those times, uh, life was quite tough and um, people didn't have that high awareness. There wasn't that much information circulating around. So very little knowledge was available to most practitioners. They simply were taught to meditate and to live simple life um, a dharmic way of life and they did the best they can but often they didn't have the right support so the average l l time it took to go home was four lifetimes oh. so based upon that that idea in the 18th century uh, this is why the message was given and it's carried even to this day only because it's never been updated for the modern age oh, right. but now it's longer <laughs> okay Right, we've got a few random questions now, not many, it's about one, two, about five. Why don't perfect living masters reveal the full truth when answering questions from disciples? For example, living God's will, detached from your character's drama. These are things that they normally say. Right. I believe. Well, you see, the problem is this. It's not that the master is lacking. It's our ability to understand that's lacking. If the master was to be completely honest with us at all times, we would become very disturbed because the truth, you see, the soul understands fully the truth of everything. It understands that there's no reality to this creation. It's not identifying itself with the character that we're playing. So the soul can have all this truth told to them straight away. But the mind is a very different thing. The mind is uh, a less... Um, you could say a less able um, entity to comprehend higher truths that exist beyond itself. So masters have to tailor their answers according to the perceptive abilities, understanding of the individual. Because the masters do not try to distress the individual any more than they are already distressed. So there's always a, a method sometimes employed by the masters to try and minimize the amount of distress that would be caused if they were absolutely truthful. Because one thing is that what we have to go through, we have to go through. Sure. So if the master is going to be too blunt about it, then or too direct, 
or too graphic, then this is not going to help us in any way. It's best that we always have the illusion of hope, that it may work out, it may be okay. And then after going through all the hoops and loops of it, it hasn't worked out, we say, oh, well, it wasn't meant to be then. But if you tell the person in advance it wasn't meant to be, it's not meant to be when they've got a full passion and drive for it, yeah, then it's much more damaging to them than if you let them go through the experience and then they conclude themselves it's not meant to be. Sure. Does the master have a karma-free life while he is in this creation? No, uh, masters are karma-free before they come to this creation, but they have to borrow karma in order to exist here. Because nothing can exist here without karma in this illusion. Everything must have a body, and all bodies must have functions, and must interact with the world in certain ways. So masters simply borrow a body by releasing and freeing an individual that is most appropriate to their need, um, and taking them back to such khan, and taking over their body with whatever karma is remaining in that individual. So sometimes they can look a certain way, they have maybe have certain illnesses or certain things happen to them. It's not that these things are happening to the master, it's just that the karma of that individual carries these traits. So the masters sometimes, depending on where they need to be born, what family line they need to be born into, and so on, will take on the role of an individual that they have freed and will swap their karma-free existence um, for this karma of this body that they've inherited. So yes, they do have karma, it's just like all of us, which is why they need to eat, why they need shelter, why they need to wear clothes, mm. why they need to do activities, job, maybe even marry, have wife, children, everything that we do, they seem to do the same. But their awareness is above all that, that's the difference. They're not attached to it. They're, they're above all of that in their awareness, level of awareness, and that's what differentiates them from us. Thank you. At the time of death, will it be revealed to the soul who the master is? Depends, because um, if those ones who at the time of death were thinking of their beloved, thinking of the master, they have sufficient merit, they've meditated sufficiently or they've contemplated upon the master sufficiently, and they have sufficient spiritual merit to warrant the master visiting them at the time of death, then most certainly, yes. Is there a realization that the life you have left was not real? That happens to everyone, whether they've got a master or not. Mm. Yes. Wow. Okay. During meditation, besides from using love and devotion, we are asked to focus our attention and withdraw our attention. Focus and withdrawal seem like opposites. Do we need to master focusing our attention first before the withdrawal can take place? You see, this question is quite right. They are completely different things. Withdrawing of attention means that we leave the awareness of the physical and around us and eventually the mental and we place our attention at the seat of the soul and the mind, which is at the eye center. And that is done through the focusing of attention. Now, in the normal physical terms, a focusing is placing our one-pointed attention on a particular aspect, usually external to us. And even if we focus our attention within, we're looking at it as separately, as separate from ourselves. So therefore we have us 
as the onlooker and we have us as the um, being the, the one being looked at internally so focusing of attention is not correct in the form of spiritual practice it's not the correct way to practice spiritually because the idea is to use the focus to locate the eye center and then to withdraw the attention there so we become there so we we are first looking at it from an external point of view but then we move our attention from focusing to withdrawal so that we actually now sitting in place that we were looking at initially we place ourselves there we move towards that position then we become withdrawn so that's the difference thank you what personality changes are seen within a disciple when he begins to increase his love and devotion to the supreme lord if you love the lord you love the creation and everybody in it so therefore automatically the love the peace the tolerance the kindness the forgiveness the gratitude all come into play in that person's life they display the saintly qualities of this person who is a lover of the lord so that is the what is seen externally thank you right those are all the questions